0: The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. There was one quick announcement I, I forgot to give to Brother John to make today, so let me make it. Uh, we said it last week. Let me say it again. Uh, so next Sunday after the service, if you're interested in being a part of our Connect team, if you'd like more information about it, right after the service next Sunday, just meet in here and we'll talk about it. So the Connect team would be something you would serve on on Sunday morning. Uh, you'd be door greeters. You would be people working at the information desk. Maybe be behind the counter serving food and all kinds of other stuff. But your job is to connect people to our church. So when people walk in, hopefully, if you can be smile you can smile and, and nod at them and, and, and all of that wonderful stuff. If you think you could do that, that's something you might be interested in doing, uh, then please, next Sunday after the service, uh, just stay in here. That would be awesome. okay, so this series, Love Is, that we're starting today, has been uh, literally a dream of mine to preach for um, over a year. We went through uh, 1 Corinthians 13, um, 4-7 with uh, our high school boys, right, guys? Right? Am I right? Am I right? That's what's up. And it took us uh, ah, a long time, all right? It took, us, uh, it took us a long, long time, and God did so much. I don't know if He did a lot for them, but He did a lot for me, and so I've been wanting to bring it to the church, and, and there's so many different times I wanted to do this. Series, and for some reason now um, we get to do it. So we're starting our series today. Love is, and we're going to fill in that blank every single Sunday we're together. And if I were to ask you what today is about, what would you say? I mean, it's Valentine's Day. So what would you say? You might say chocolate. You might say flowers, or you might say forgotten flowers, or you might say I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we're going on a date. We're going out to eat. But probably a lot of people, even if I ask children, they would say love. Right? That's Valentine's Day. It's about love. And and that's a good answer because love is incredibly important. I mean, incredibly important. We see in Matthew 22, uh, someone asked Jesus, says, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets is based on what? Two commandments. All of it. Hang on these two things. Love God and love people. And in fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, if you begin there in verse 1, we'll see how important love is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I speak in these these angelic languages, all right, my, like my words, they're, I'm just the most eloquent speaker of all. In fact, I can speak in a way that you would describe as angelic even, but if I don't have love, I'm like a clanging cymbal a cl- you've heard a clanging cymbal, right? Not here. We've got good drummers, but maybe you've heard at some point, you just go into guitar center where people are just in there, just banging on cymbals. It's horrible. And you just want to get away from it, right? And it says, you're just like that without love. Then it says in verse two, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I know everything, I know all the mysteries, I can make mountains move into the sea. Like that seems like an important guy. That seems like a guy I'm putting on my team, right? Like I, my number one pick is I'll take the mountain moving guy that knows everything. And it says, even if that's me, if I don't love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Look at verse three. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. If I'm abundantly generous, more than you've ever seen anyone before, to the point of even giving up my own life, but if I don't have love, it's worthless. It's useless. I'm nothing. And look at our text today. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we'll be today. 1 John chapter 4. Let me go ahead and read from, from verse 7 for you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It says without love, you haven't been born of God and you don't know God. Because what? God is love. Love God, love people. Love is that important. Love God, love people. Love is that important important but I think we have a misunderstanding of what it means to love God and to love people and I think the reason why and the reason why we have to do this series is because in our culture uh, there's not a lot that's objective right so much of it's subjective so much of it is your experience and love follows right along that same type of thinking you know my my experience the way that I love the way that I I love my family the way that I love a, a, a stranger or a neighbor or whatever it might look different because I'm different than you so what works for me might not work for you, and, and so love in our minds is subjective, and we define what it looks like, and that's why, I mean, take romantic love, for example. We don't all listen to the same love songs, because some love songs speak to others that, that, you know, this love song might speak to you. It might not speak to somebody else. Like, maybe if, if you love, like, I will always love you. Maybe that's your love song. Maybe that's something you really enjoy. Maybe it's my heart will go on, or maybe it's unchained melody. Or maybe it's something else, like maybe it's, maybe it's one of these like country classics, like, her teeth were stained, but her heart was pure. Like maybe that's it, or maybe, how can I miss you if you won't go away? Or, or maybe it's, I keep forgetting I forgot about you. Or maybe it's, I changed her oil, she changed my life. Or maybe it's, if, if my nose were full of nickels, I'd blow it all on you. And so you, just let that one sink in. You got the middle picture, Okay. My point is, when we talk about love, we see love as subjective, like everything else. It's, it's up to me. It's my experience, and it's different than your experience. But that's not true. It's not true. It's objective because somebody defined it. For all of time, somebody's defined it. Who who did that? God defines love. God defines love. And so it says, you, he says, you want to follow me? You, you want to make me happy? You want to live in the way that I've designed you to live? Then love God and love people. Everything hangs on those two things. You love God and you love people. And he doesn't leave it up to interpretation. He doesn't say, love God, love people, go figure it out. You love God, love people in the way you can. No, 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 he doesn't leave it up to interpretation. Instead, he defines it. And by the way, he defines it because he loved us like this first. Like he's not calling us to to love and giving us a command to love and going, you guys really need to figure it out and, and, and you need to do it. I don't need to do it. He's giving us a command to love based out of who he is. It says God is love. So when he says, you love like this, and this love is demanding. To love like God wants you to love is demanding. And it can be difficult. But he's not saying it just arbitrarily. Or, hey, this will be funny. Watch him try to be patient. That's that's not where it's coming from. He says, go be patient because I'm patient. Like, go be kind because I'm kind. Go be humble because I've humbled myself. So it's a part of who he is. We reflect God when we love. He put that definition of love on display for us for all time. And we look in 1 John where we are today. Look at these two verses, verse nine and 10. And this is our whole text for today. And this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. These two verses reveal to us, I think, reveal to us five things about his love that I want to point out this morning. One, his love is unconditional. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. We are the objects of his love. We are. Not those who have loved him. It's us. And you go, well, well, this says this says not that we've loved God. So it doesn't say that we 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 haven't loved him. And, no, no, no. God didn't love us in response to our love. And you go, how do you know that? Ephesians 2 1, you know what Ephesians 2 1 says? It says we were dead in our sins. How many people in here loved by dead people? How many people in here a dead person is really kind to you and patient with you? Well, they might be really patient with you. But like how how have you had that relationship? We were dead. There was no little fan of like there was no little flame in us for God that he just had to fan it right to get us to love him. There wasn't it wasn't there. We were dead. It's not a romantic comedy. Oh, we were best friends and you were here all along and I've loved you all along. I didn't even know it. That's not what's happening here. We were dead. There's nothing in us that loved him. And yet he loved us. The scripture says we were enemies of God, and he still loved us. God's love is unconditional, and and I like to think that my love is unconditional, we like to think that about ourselves, but the reality is, like, I can try my hardest, and there's some situations with the best effort that, that I have that I can make on my own, I can't overcome what someone has done, or I can't overcome who someone is, or I can't overcome whatever it is. Our love is conditional, but God has no conditions. In fact, God looks at our worst and loves us the same. The so Scripture says that he knows our hearts. We don't know our hearts. It says who knows the depths of our, like we don't know our own hearts. Haven't you ever done something or said something or had a thought and you were repulsed by your own thought? You were repulsed by your own action and you go, where did that come from? Where did, I would never say that. I would never think that. Where did that come from? Your heart. It came from your heart, and the scripture says we don't even know the depth of it, but it says God does, and yet, what? God loves us. He looks right at our ugliness. He looks at the worst, and he loves us. God's love is unconditional. Second thing we see here is that his love sacrificed everything. God sent his son, verse nine. And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. Why does God choose to reveal Jesus as his son? If you were to ask some uh, ideologies around the world, they would say, well, because God has, uh, Jesus came from God, God created Jesus, he's like his son or whatever, and that's not true. He wasn't created by the Father, and we see that in the scriptures. Why does he do this? Because these are earthly terms that God is giving us to help us wrap our heads around this affection and this intimacy that the father has with the son. They're equal. They're God. That whole Trinity thing, right? They're both God. They're equal. And yet, and yet he chooses to reveal him in this way. Why? So we can wrap our head around. We, we understand that picture a little bit of a father loving his only son. And we get a picture of that in the scriptures, and we get it with, with Abraham and Isaac. Abraham loves, loves his boy. Why? They were infertile. They weren't going to have any kids. And he was deeply upset by that, deeply wounded, and so was his wife. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child. And, that, and out of that child, I, I'm going to make your, your, uh, uh, your descendants more numerous than the stars from this boy. And I don't know if you've ever felt the pain of infertility. I, I haven't. Thank God I haven't. And if you have, I pray God's comfort for you. But if you felt that, if you felt that, and then the Lord gives you a child. You know that, right? You know that feeling. You know that way. Whether the Lord provided through adoption or or whether he, he gave you a, a biological child, it doesn't matter. You you know what that's like. That longing and that wanting. And then here they are, here they are. So you know that affection, you know that connection. My wife and I never, never dealt with that, but I know that connection with my kids. I know that affection for my kids. I know how strongly I feel for them. And this is the picture we're getting of God and his son And that's what we get with Abraham and Isaac. They longed for a child. Abraham tried to go get one on his own, and that turned out disastrously. And yet, God still gives him Isaac, and so he loves Isaac. And we see that in Genesis chapter 22, verse two. God says, your son whom you love. So God's not lying. God knows his heart, and he says, I know you love your boy. I know you love him. And then look at what God asked him to do in Genesis 22, two. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God tests Abraham and he says, your boy, who you deeply have an affection for, take him to this mountain and you kill him. You offer him as a sacrifice to me. What do you think Abraham's feeling? God's been so faithful to me. He's he's made this promise to me. So I'm gonna trust him and I'll go. Have you trusted God in a difficult time? Sure, sure. Was it easy? No. I don't imagine this was easy for Abraham. We see him and Isaac, and they start making their way up the mountain, and they get to a certain point, and Isaac tells the servants to stay, and they, or Abraham tells the servants to stay, and they they go on their way, and Isaac says, hold up, dad. Hey, look, I know you're super old and everything. You might not remember things, but we got fire, we got wood, I see that big old shiny knife of yours, we don't have a sacrifice. And he says, God's gonna provide. God's gonna provide. And they walk on. And then they get to where they are, and Abraham looks around, and there's no sacrifice. Still, It still must be his son, Isaac. So he begins to build the altar. And you know he trusts God. You know he trusts God. But even in that moment, he's thinking, God, please, please, I'm building this altar. Please bring me another way. And he finishes building the altar, and there's no other way. Still his boy. So what does he do? He binds him. He ties his boy up. Now imagine that as a parent, and there's your, there's your child. I love you. There's got to be another way. God will provide And so he binds him, and he places him on the altar. There's gotta be another way. God will provide. And with complete faith, Abraham raises his knife to trust God in that moment. I will bring this knife down on my boy if that's what you require of me. And as he starts to bring the knife down, what happens? An angel of the Lord, Abraham, 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 stop, stop. I can see that you fear God, because you've not withheld your only son from me. And what does he do? He provides. Look over here, there's a ram, he's caught in this thicket. You sacrifice him today. Think about how, what a moment for Abraham. And, and by the way, this was not some empty thing. Like God's going to provide a way. There's no way. He promised this boy, he promised me this boy, and pro- he would provide all these descendants from him. There's got to be another way. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham knew that God could even raise his boy from the dead. Abraham had every intention of killing him that day. He knew it. He said, you know what? If, God, if God's going to fulfill his promise to me. And even if he makes me do this, he can raise him from the dead. This was not an empty thing for him. He, it wasn't like, you know what? I know there's nothing at stake here. God's gonna, there's going to be a ram somewhere. That's, that's not what's going through his head. And so you imagine that moment, that relief, this angel of the Lord stopping. Abraham, stop. Stop. I provided another way. What a moment Now think of this. God chooses to reveal his affection and his intimacy and his connection with the son in the same way. This is my only son. In the same way that that Isaac is Abraham's only son, like that, his son. But when Jesus is on the altar, no one yells stop. No one removes the wrath of God from his son. The knife comes down and Jesus dies. Are you you with me here? God says, this is my only son. Just like Abraham says, this is my son. And no one stopped him. There was no other way. And so God gave his only son for us. I mean, feel, feel the weight of that. I wouldn't give my boy for any of you. I wouldn't give him for me. And God looks at us, his enemies, those who are dead in their sins, and he says, I'll give my boy. And then just on the other side of that, Jesus gave himself for us. He sacrificed for us. No one took him. No one took his life from him. In John 10, Jesus said, for this reason, the father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The charge I received from my father. That's the choice Jesus made. Yes, the father sent him, but the son chose to obey. He says what? I have the authority to lay my life down. I have the authority to pick it up again. In Philippians 2, we see that. We see that lived out. In verse 6, talking about Jesus, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus didn't say, according to Philippians 2, I'm God, I'm over this. I'm God, I'm above this. I'm not doing this. Instead, he emptied himself and he humbled himself to the point of being a servant. A servant to who? A servant to us. He served us. A servant to us. And he was obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a criminal's cross. an Excruciating and shameful death. Jesus submitted himself to that point, which leads me to the next point here. His love endures. That's what we learn about his love. His love endures. What's the scripture say? He could lay down his life and he could pick it up. At any point, he could say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm God and I'm done and I'm out. But he didn't. Just think about the last 24 hours of his life. Think about when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's so stressed out. He's going to take the wrath of God on us. He's sweating blood. I've never been there, but he's sweating blood. At any point, he could have just left. No, I'm done with this. I'm not taking the wrath of God. No, but he endures for us because his love endures. And then he's betrayed by Judas. And what happens to all of his buddies? They leave. He's abandoned and he's left there by himself with those soldiers. And what does he do? I'm out. I've got no. His love endures for us. And then the soldiers take him and they take him to Caiaphas and these people, they want him dead. And so they mistreat him and abuse him. And what does he do? He stands there and he takes it because his love endures. And then he's taken to Pilate and to Herod and back to Pilate for these ridiculous, uh, not, not even close, I, I don't even want to call them trials because they were such a mockery of justice, but he's taken there and he's, he's belittled in front of them. And what does he do? He endures. He endures like a sheep in front of his slaughterer. He endures for us. And then to think they take him and they, they whip him. and Roman whipping was designed for what? To peel the flesh off of somebody. And it says that, that he took so much damage to his own body that at that point fluid would have begun to collect around his lungs and it would have been difficult even for him to breathe in that moment. What does he do? He endures. And they force a crown of thorns on his head. He doesn't deserve this. He's God. He he should have a a crown on his head as he sits on his throne and he reigns forever. And we should be laying things at his feet. And instead they take these crown of thorns and they, they shove them down onto his brow. And he endures. And then he's sentenced to death. And what does he do? He walks to his death. He walks. They give him this cross that he has to carry. And I don't know how far he walked. I've heard different people say all the way from 300 yards to maybe even 1,600 yards. I, I have no idea, but he walks in every single step. He's mocked and he's belittled and he's picked at. And at one point, his strength fails. He can't even carry his cross. And what does he do? He continues. He could have given up right then, he could have laid down his life right then. I'm done. he endured for us, and then he hung on the cross, and as he's on the cross, he's naked, and he's mocked, and he's thirsty, and they gave him vinegar to drink, and they mock him, and the people around him mock him. The, 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 The criminal on one side of him mocks him. The soldiers mock him. Those in front of him mock him, and he endures, and then he experiences the a moment of loneliness that because of what he's done, we don't have to experience God turning his back on his son. And in that moment, he cries out to God, but he endures. He doesn't leave. He endures for us, and he hangs there for six hours, suffocating for six hours. He endures for us. Why? Because his love endures and what did his love accomplish brings us to the fourth thing his love saves us look at verse 10 he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins he's our substitute why because we need it scripture says we've all sinned we've all fallen short of God's glory and so the penalty for our sin is death and God is just and that penalty has to be paid and so Jesus paid it his blood Paid it all, satisfying the wrath of God. His love satisfies the justice of God. And now according to verse nine, what does it say? We live through him. Romans 8, one says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We can't be condemned any longer. First John 2, one says that Jesus is now our advocate. So now I have this man who gave everything for me, standing in front of the father saying he's mine, he's mine. We have an advocate with the Father. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, We are now righteous before God. We are right before God because of what He has done for us. And Galatians 3 says, We aren't enemies anymore. No, no, no. Far from it. We're now children. That same affection, that same tenderness He has for His own Son, He now has for us as we follow Jesus. His love saves us. So does it save everybody? It can but I've, I've heard this say, said before and, and, and I've said it before and I, I, I think it's true that God is not a cosmic rapist forcing himself on anyone. His love saves those who respond appropriately. Look at, look at the fifth thing we learn about his love. His love demands a response. This is a crazy love. To give his son for us, to endure what he endured for us. This is a crazy love and a love like this demands a response. Today's Valentine's Day. So imagine, imagine someone comes up to you, they're an old friend of yours, they've always been a good friend of yours, and they, they reveal to you, I, I love you, I love you, I have, I went ahead and I paid off all your student loans, Um, I have outside in the, in the parking lot, you've got, I've got a new car for you, Uh, it is all yours, your dream car, whatever, and, and I just, and I'm all, I've always been there for you, I want to always be there for you, I want to have a life with you, will you marry me? Now let me ask you this. Do you have a choice to respond? Which, by the way, you want to pay off my student loan debts? I I don't know. Yes, I'll marry you. Okay, but anyway. Do you have a choice to respond or not? No, you don't have a choice to respond or not. Because if you don't respond, is that a response? Absolutely is. It's rejection. Because a love like that demands a response. A love like that demands a change, doesn't it? You better go with that dude or girl or dog. I don't care. Seriously, pay off my student loans. But anyway. A love like that demands a response. And so the crazy love of God demands a response. So the question becomes, what response results in being saved by this love? What, what response results in being saved by this love? Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So his love saves those who confess him. Does a confession save you then? I just need to say Jesus is Lord. Bam, I'm saved. Is that what that says? Because Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I don't think it's just a confession, but what is a confession? A confession is evidence of belief in something. When I'm confessing something to you, I'm confessing and I'm giving evidence of my belief in something, right? That's a, that's a confession. So, so let's, think, let's understand confession in that way and then let's look at another verse that might help us understand this better. Romans 10, 9 will help us understand what confession has to do with the saving response to God's love. Here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we have to believe, that's part of it. You have to believe he raised you from the dead, why? Because if if he didn't raise his son from the dead, then where are we? We're lost, we're dead, we're hopeless, it's over. We are still stuck in our sins. But we not only believe that he raised him from the dead. What does it say? We confess our belief. And what belief do we confess? What does it say? If you confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. If we confess that Jesus is sometimes in charge. No, that's not what it says. If we confess that Jesus is helpful. No, that's not it either. Confess that we like Jesus. No, confess that he's Lord. What's that evidence of? That's evidence of a life change, Right? Because Lord means what? He's completely in charge. Confession of Jesus is Lord is evidence that you've submitted to him. That's the response he wants. You submitted to him. You're it. You, you're in charge. You win. And to confess that is to prove that. To confess that is to prove that you submitted to him, that you surrendered to him. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if any of you wanna be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. A saving response to God's love is complete surrender. It's confess your sin, it's to turn away from him, and say, God, please forgive me, I don't want this anymore. I'm going a different way. You're in charge, not some of the time, not not just with this, not just with church. God, my life is yours. You are Lord. And you may say, that sounds great. I I want want that that love to save me. I want that love to to save me. Because the reality is, again, we're separated from God outside of his love, outside of what Jesus has done for us. We're separated And our sin deserves what? It deserves death. And that debt will be paid. It will be paid. And if you aren't found in Jesus, it will be paid by sending you away from him forever, in hell. So the scriptures say, I I know people don't like to talk about it. I get it. But that's the reality. That's why Jesus died for us, to save us from that, what we deserve. But if we confess that he's Lord, Giving evidence that we've surrendered our life. God, you are it. You are in charge. We become his children. We get a new life and we're forgiven. And you might say, but will he accept me? You don't know where I came from. You don't know what I'm confessing. Here's what his word says. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. Have you you committed a sin bigger than God? No. He says, I'm faithful to you. Well, other people haven't been. Yeah, 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 I'm not other people. I'm faithful to you. I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you. His word says that by his wounds, we are healed. His word says that he takes our sin and he removes them from us as far as what? The east is from the west. Yeah, he'll accept you. Yes, he'll forgive you. And just in case that's not enough, you say those are nice words, those are nice verses, I don't rem- I'm not gonna remember them. Just in case that's not enough, just in case you can't remember, remember this, that he didn't withhold his only son for you. Remember that. If you're going, I, I don't know if he'll accept me, I don't know if he'll love me, I don't know if I'll be forgiven. He didn't withhold his only son for us. Remember that, because that's love. So what is our first love? I told you we'll always, we'll have that, we'll, we'll fill in that blank. Love is what? Love is Jesus. That's what love is. Love is Jesus. This is what we, this is how we know what love is. That what? God sent his only son for us, that we might live through him. That's how we know what love is. Jesus is love. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I know that we need to respond. I told you that already. We need to respond. We have this crazy love of God that needs a response. So what's our response? For some of you, I I don't know, it might be different. Maybe I have brothers and sisters in this room that your response today, your only appropriate response today is awe. Maybe that's it. Maybe I have brothers and sisters in this room that your only response today, the only thing that that you can do today is turn away from something. Something you've been holding on to. Something you know that doesn't please him. I don't know. I would imagine though that there are people in this room that you've heard the good news of Jesus now. Really heard it for the first time you've re- you're internalizing it now that God sent his son for you. That without him, you are hopeless. Without him, you don't have real life. And today, you wanna make a change. Today, you wanna be saved. Then guess what? Let today be the day. Right now, where you are in your seat, just just pray, just pray this prayer to him. It's not, this prayer isn't magic. It's not what saves you. This attitude, your desire is what saves you. But just talk to him right now in the quietness of your own heart. God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. I'm sorry that I've turned away from you. I'm sorry that I've done things my own way. I'm sorry. I trust that you love me. I trust that you sent your son for me. God, give me a new life. I surrender. I surrender it all. I surrender. I surrender. Save me. In Jesus' name.